This podcast represents the opinions of our hosts and guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is for informational purposes only. This podcast also does not establish a standard of care, doctor-patient or client relationship. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. And because each person is so unique, all listeners are encouraged to connect with counseling and medical professionals for assistance with their personal journey. All people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect the privacy of those involved. Welcome to We're Not Fine. I'm Dr. Talia Jackson. And I'm Doug Jensen. We thank you for listening every week to our deep and thought-provoking conversations about relationships. Doug's least favorite word is gratitude. It is not my least favorite. (laughs) But I am like... Abundance is my least favorite. Well, I am feeling an abundance of gratitude. I knew you'd have to pull it in there. (laughs) It is coming up through the earth and into my soul and out the crown of my head. Now we should all do yoga. Wow. (laughs) That's really deep and intense about your birthing experience. And now I'm out of the birth canal into a live podcast, which we've never done before. And we cannot believe that everybody is here. And we're so grateful. This is exactly. (laughs) And Nick has had lots of caffeine. Yes. So we're good to go. Yeah, I, I see know. that. I'm excited to talk about birth canals. I feel okay. We'd like to begin there, in the birth canal, and we'll have an experiential exit. <laughs> I would like to say thank you to everybody, very seriously. Thank you for coming. This is so much fun. You are all our closest people and supporters, so we're really grateful you're all here. I can't tell you two apart, and that's because you're twins. Okay. I'll just keep they looking are. over there. Um, so welcome, and this is our first live recording in a studio, away from our studio of the We Are Not Fine podcast. We are so excited. We are so excited. And with our first live audience. And it is one of my favorite people that we're interviewing today, Nick Harper. Yeah, that's you. Yeah, you can look around (laughs) us. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm excited to have you guys here. This is awesome. You've been incredibly gracious to allow all of our team to come into this place and, and create this studio in your studio. Um, and I need to tell my personal story of you, and I hope I get through this because I cry every time I tell this story. So it was Art World just this last summer where I walked by your studio and I saw a piece of art in the doorway and I could not stop looking at it. And it just haunted me for days and weeks. And then my friend Lissa, who is a friend of yours, introduced me to you in the back of your building here. Yeah. And I walked up to you and I started crying because I was so touched by your amazing gift. So after three months of being haunted by this picture called Serenity, which is back in that room, in the pink room, for anybody who wants to see it, I made the purchase because I need her in my house. And I am so touched by you and what you provide for art and how you touch people with your art. And we cannot wait to talk to you about it today. Thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome. I'm humbled to have you with us. Thank you. So with that, we'd love to hear a little bit about your journey in becoming an artist. Yeah. Wait, but first I was going to dive in. Were you? And say the story about how your work is so powerful and haunting and chilling and like <laughs> pierces you through your soul. And every time I tell you that, you're like, ah. <laughs> and I'm like, what's this? Ah. Like, it's <laughs> so deeply powerful. And I yeah. feel like you need to know that. Oh, thank you. And everybody tells you that I know. It is an interesting response, Nick, because even today I I was talking at lunch because we did go to lunch before this to kind of meet everybody and the team. Um, And I told you once again that I could not believe I was sitting next to you because you were so admired by me. And he's like, oh, and I'm like, that's not a response to that. Like you were like groundbreaking, (laughs) mister. Okay, but now for real. (laughs) (laughs) That was quick. The coffee's speaking. We really, we, now we really do want to hear about your journey as an artist. Okay, well, if, for, thank you very much. It's, You're um, so welcome. It's a pleasure to uh, be here and to be with you guys in particular. And um, it never gets old, like that reaction that people have to my artwork. Um, after doing this about 24, 25 years professionally, that's something that is a constant, uh, it's almost a constant shock. That, you know, something that I do touches people. So it's, I love hearing that. And I'm still always awkward at hearing it because it's still new. Every That's why time. you say, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but otherwise, it all begins in the birth canal. 
And Talia's head crowning is what I heard before. That will be later. That's like in 15 minutes. We're going to show a reproduction? Okay, yes. wow. I have okay. photos. No. <laughs> no. It's not that kind of a podcast. <laughs> Are we yes. sure? We do have an OnlyFans page now. Do you want to join us? <laughs> I heard a moan from the audience. <laughs> Somebody moaned. Oh, it was Andrea. Okay. Thumbs uh-huh. down. Okay. I should have said, aw. You should have said, aw. I'd love to be on your OnlyFans podcast. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, no, it really, the kind of the whole art thing started when I was um, five years old. My dad passed away just a couple weeks after my fifth birthday. And um, that for me was kind of, even though I was only five, it was like a life-changing experience and would change the whole trajectory of who I would become. And a big part of that was because it, while I couldn't rationalize it or understand what had happened, I knew something was different about me from all my other friends and my family. Um, like the next day, my best friend Nathaniel came over, knocked on the door, do you want to come out and play? And I remember specifically saying, I can't, my dad died. And I was like, wow. And I didn't know what that really meant, yep. but I knew it was like, okay, something's different. And so I always kind of felt like the other or an outsider amongst my friend group. Like I didn't belong. Uh, I'd go to a friend's house and he'd be playing catch with his dad. And it's like, oh, I don't have that. So there was always this kind of lack. Yeah. And, um, or at, I went to a Catholic grade school and um, they would have daughter, mother-daughter lunches and breakfast and then father-son. And since I didn't have a dad, they'd set me up with a stranger from the parish as my proxy dad, which was just weird. I'm guessing in all kinds of ways. And I feel even worse than not having a dad there. It was. And the other kids would be like, who's that dude? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I hope he's safe. I don't (laughs) know. Stranger danger. I don't know. Yeah, we were already stranger danger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know if I'm supposed to go home with him after this. (laughs) I hope not. No, no. No. And it was a nice thing that they were doing to try and make it not so awkward, but it was awkward. And um, so that just kind of always uh, was a part of my psyche. And for me, painting, well, it started with drawing. That was my escape mechanism. I could, I spent a lot of time alone, either biking or playing in the woods and then coming home and drawing. And the process of um, putting pencil to paper, it was like, I could create my own world and escape from this world. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it really began. Nick, I'm kind of curious. I want to follow up on that grief process related to your father's death. You know, you talked about you didn't necessarily know how you were different from other kids. When did it dawn on you that you were and that you had a loss that other people did not have? It would probably be when I was at friends' homes playing okay. and their dad was present. And I always felt oh. drawn to talk to the dads. Like I was hungry for a father figure, sure. for that male presence. So I was always, I wanted to play catch with the dad or talk to the dad. And um, so that was probably the first time that I was really acutely aware. I am curious, specific to that event, how that manifests in your art today. And if it does. Um, I think it does. I mean, most of my paintings are typically of women. And that was because I was raised by my mother. And then I also have five sisters. I have three brothers. Um, but I was most closely, my two, yeah, three brothers. I forget. There's nine. There's a lot. Total. That's yeah, okay. I, You've had a lot of coffee. Yeah, right. Totally. Do you want I to recite everyone's the names. name and birth date backwards from youngest? <laughs> like, to I'd like astrological signs, too, yes. if you could. Oh, my God. Birthstones. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I didn't even think birthstones. Birth Thank stones. you for adding that in the I don't even couch. know my birthstone. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I was raised by my mother and, um, and was close with my sisters. And so that was the biggest influence growing up was um, that female presence. And so with my artwork, I was always drawn to like the feminine principle, the divine feminine within artwork, within um, spirituality, that sort of thing. So it's kind of morphed its way into my paintings. We're going to definitely want to go back to this whole gender experience you've had and how that impacts because you have drawings of women that are very different than drawings of men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I cannot wait to talk about that a little bit later because, of course, the I'm going to have to lay down for this. You are going to. <laughs> this is like a dissection. The there is a Cut reason you're on the couch. <laughs> right. 
and I've got. Do I have to pay more since there's two? <laughs> there's two, <laughs> two doctors in that. Everyone house. asks it's that. It's so that you can like inch closer to one of us or the other, depending on what the question. Who's uncomfortable? I'll be crawling <laughs> over the back here in a second. No. <laughs> be under the so of course you also had a, a blurb on PBS. Mm-hmm. You did an interview on PBS, which I've listened to many, many times. Yeah. Um, and also in order, you know, before buying my art, to be honest, I, I listened yeah. to it a few times. And again, it kind of pushed me toward it instead of away from it because it was so, you are so eloquent in how you describe your art and your process. Aww. One of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're getting better at this. But one of the things you said that was so intriguing to me is that you said that by watching other people and observing people look at your art, you mm-hmm. are inspired. Yes. Yeah. I want to know, number one, how. And I also want to know, like, when you observe people, like what, and I'm kind of curious about your dad's death and how you observed other people playing with their fa- fathers or having other men in their lives. Like, I'm curious about your yeah. observational skills. Yeah. Um, again, I think it goes back to my dad's death. And that night in particular was so bizarre. So my mom was a church cantor yeah. and choir director and soloist. And so when he died, um, our house, which was tiny, was there were multiple priests, nuns, sisters, wow. lay people, like the whole church community came. Now I understand your art. I'm kidding. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, and instead of, because uh, we were pretty poor growing up, lived off of, like, we got, I remember waiting in VF, at VFW to get government issue food. And, um, but where was I going with that? Observing. Observing, observing people. I interrupted observing you. Observing people, observing your art. In, yeah. I asked you where your observational skills and yeah. talents came from. But there was a reason I brought up VFW food. <laughs> you said it's there was something important. really perti- like peculiar about that night. The night. Yeah, the people that came really kind of um, rallied around us. But we, so I was just in a room with all these strangers and people in like yeah. nun outfits and priest stuff. Men in nun outfits. Yeah. And, yeah. And it was people. just so bizarre. And so I just kind of observed and that's how, because I always felt like the other, rather than being a part of everything, I watched things play around, around me, play out around me. Um, and then that throughout, throughout, as I got older, um, applied to once I opened up the gallery and saw how people interacted with art, but it also was happening while I was forming forming my concept of what art is and yeah. what it's about. And I really tend to think art is about, um, it's a reflection of our soul. So as an artist, it's my projection of my soul and learning about myself and um, surprising myself by what comes out. Yep. And then when somebody connects with a painting, um, it's because they're finding a soulmate. They're finding a piece of themselves that they didn't realize existed. So I think that's the power of art is souls touching souls. I want to say two comments about that. One is I think when we have a traumatic loss such as you did, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you're willing to share how your father died, sure. but because of the suddenness of it, I think we oftentimes learn very young to scan. I call it scanning. And so as you're watching all of these people in your house, as you're watching other people with their dads, I think you probably naturally developed an ability to take care of yourself and survive by mm-hmm. watching what was going on around you and understanding it. Um, but I will also tell you, um, and that is what you and I discussed when I made the purchase of that painting, um, is that she was likely, it was my soulmate. And yeah. I appreciate that metaphor because yeah. it's very true. I feel ridiculously connected. Yeah. I have never felt that way toward a piece of art in my entire life. Wow. And in fact, for anybody who wasn't here this morning, as I have witnesses, um, Andrea, thank you. Um, I walked back through this morning and I just bawled. Um, again, I and I'm that. like, I can't, I know you did. <laughs> I, I walked out and go, are you bawling again? I'm like, yes, I am. I will probably cry every time I see I mocked you for that I know you a did little bit. But <laughs> you were so no. understanding. Like you would just say things like, oh, and yeah. now it's mocking me. So I'm not sure. There's been a transition in our relationship. Thank you. We're graduating. We are yeah. closer. We can make fun yeah. of each other. Your comfort, <laughs> your comfort level has increased. But that <laughs> scanning can be really, really critical for a lot of people to kind of understand their lives and, and survive. Yeah. So pretty powerful story. Do you want to talk about your father's death? Yeah, he, um, he had been sick. Well, and this is kind of a weird, spooky thing, too. So I had a sister living in Phoenix, Arizona, a sister living in, I think it was South Carolina, maybe North Carolina, and one in Sioux Falls. And um, my dad had been sick for about a week and was getting better. And my mom talked to 
the siblings were like, should we fly home? Just like, no, he's getting better. It was just a bad cold. Well, they all got this feeling or vibe that they've got to come home. So they all came home and then he passed like a day later from, he had pneumonia and it got into his bloodstream. And back then, I guess there wasn't anything you could do for that. It was, so he just passed in his sleep. My mom woke up when she didn't hear him breathing. How traumatic. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm it was so the one time that all my family was in the room, in the house at the same time. And then there were weird stories about the light. He would, my dad would turn the lights on and off at night to check on the kids before going to bed. And the lights would flicker at night up until the funeral. So I didn't witness that myself. I heard that from my, my siblings. We have had that same experience as well. And our, my father-in-law, Rob's dad, hi Rob, um, he was living with us. For a long time and he also he passed in our home he passed in his sleep and we do get a lot of lights flickering and we always feel like it's him yeah we're like what were we just talking about what is he saying to us yeah but I was sitting here listening because you were intuitively sort of answering all of the questions that I was going to ask you. Oh, awesome. We're done. <laughs> no, we're done. Oh, doctor. Oh, no, we're not. Thank doctor, you. doctor. <laughs> Too soon. You wish. Nick's <laughs> <laughs> like ready to leave. The tissue box is still full. We're not done. But there He is has a- the tissue box <laughs> by him. <laughs> I've got mine stuffed over here in the oven. <laughs> I am a therapist, Nick. I always have tissues. But, but I, usually for the patient, right? <laughs> <laughs> Did everyone hear that? We just need, to, we need to pass it around to everyone. We'll just I am so going to get you back. I'm changing tissues. some questions here. But I was just thinking about that soulmate mm. I can't even tell you how powerful that is because, and Doug was thinking for the longest time. He's like, why do I want to cry every time I look at this? And there's something about art that it evokes this, the memory, the emotion, the feeling that it it doesn't come to you naturally. Otherwise I feel like, and it's Mm -hmm. your most vulnerable. It's like your soul and then people are connecting to it and the stories that you're telling I mean, what sense do you make of that when people are really drawn to the story or they feel like you're communicating to them? What are they connecting to? Um, You know, I think there's a vulnerability with artwork. And like if you're just talking to somebody on the street, you're less likely to maybe tap into your emotions or let them flow. Whereas with art, there's, there's no barrier. It's like you're seeing a symbolic visual representation that's just going directly to the soul. And so that can just, it's, it's, there's no barriers to your emotion. Yeah. And it makes people feel and weep and rejoice. I'm also really curious about the head state, the head space that you must be in when you're painting, because whenever I'm looking at your paintings, I feel like I'm in a different headspace mm-hmm. and also like meeting you. You're so like lively and warm and jovial <laughs> and dressed in black and gold shoes. True. <laughs> this is like, this is maybe symbolic of your entire personality, but I'm really curious about that headspace. And yeah. do you have to get into it and then get out of it? Yes. Definitely. How? Well, two things. Um, The first thing is I'm kind of always on in terms of thinking and looking for inspiration or being allowed to be inspired. So, um, which since this is a podcast about relationships, maybe we can talk about how that's uh, not always the best thing for relationships. We're going to talk about that. (laughs) Did I tell you I have tissues? (laughs) I'm going to need another box. Um, (laughs) But like even going to see a movie, like something silly, like Transformers or something, it's, I have a tough time just turning off and just allowing myself to be entertained. I'm looking at different huh. things for inspiration and um, analyzing things in that sense. But then mm. when it comes to painting, um, so I usually, another 
thing that's not always the best for relationships. I love to paint at night. For me, the magic hours are 10 p.m. to 3 a.m. Wow. Um, I love when the rest of the world is asleep mm. and things are calm and quiet and the energy is just brought really low. For me, that's, and I'll paint in my studio, which is in the back of the gallery here, and I'll have all the lights off except for the ones that are just on the, the panel that I'm painting on. So I'm kind of in a meditative, weird cocoon my own little yeah escape i can pod, feel that if you will like looking at them i feel that i feel like yeah. you painted them in darkness literally yeah. and figuratively pretty pretty <laughs> close yeah and then depending on what my mood is at, on that particular night i'll either not listen to anything yeah. and it's just my own thoughts otherwise i'll listen to music you know I'm very particular about what music I'm mm-hmm. listening to based on my mood or what I'm painting. And then also uh, podcasts, like I've been listening to this one. Like for instance. One. I was waiting for you to say that. <laughs> there's a podcast called We're Not Fine. I've heard what? about it. Amazing. I've heard yes. about it. I heard they're so good. <laughs> Goldilocks has been out. Goldilocks. Yeah, so that's amazing. And I'll listen to other podcasts. I listen to a lot of weird conspiracy podcasts. Getting oh, into like we're not fine. This is like, all about conspiracies. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. So yeah, I entertain a lot of, again, because I was kind of out on the other, or the other on the outside, um, I've always been critical of, just, in that scanning process, I'm just always like observing and critical of things and like, okay, does that add up? Does that add up? And then of course there's the weird stuff like cryptozoology and what? Just, uh, oh, like, like Loch Ness monster, uh, chupacabra, Bigfoot. They're real, right? I had I a Bigfoot so. experience. <laughs> this is a actually no. It was, a, it was a skinwalker. We have turned into a children. conspiracy podcast. You like, saw it was real. I saw it. It was there. I was looking. It was super that creepy. That is really not true. Okay, I want to hear this story. Well, you saw skinwalker. Yeah. It's true. It happened. No one believes it. As our producer is like... Except for Kyle and Zoe. <laughs> Allison, you believe me. <laughs> well, we were on the North Shore. Well, there's a part of the story I don't think I can talk about. <laughs> but it rhymes with, I may have had a little bit of a gummy. Well, like a gummy bear, or what are you yes. talking about, Talia? Can you be more explicit? A Swedish fish. That's a lie. I'd like it you to be honest. It just accentuated this experience of, and also there's a lot of things that I feel like people shouldn't know about, but <laughs> I'm going to just say, the, do there, we need was a new a, episode? there was a Uber light rock that was glowing in the dark, and that's why we went to the North Shore to find this. I've already told story. I know the story. This story. Yep. Would you like me to tell you again, but slower? Again and again. Slower with more detail? And Is that what I could, hear? Yeah, if you could talk about <laughs> abundance and gratitude while you're and doing that. And then, when I was in the midst of my abundant glory, filled with <laughs> the buoyant. joy of the earth, with my buoyant... Your buoyant juiciness. <laughs> oh, my God. Juicy is another I word I was like. walking back to the car with my flashlight... And I see this like long, <laughs> creepy figure. And I was like, that's real creepy, but it must be my shadow. And then you realize it was Rob. And I thought so, because it was like nine feet tall and really like tall and skinny. Yeah. It wasn't. And then I couldn't find it again with my flashlight. That's right, Doug. Wow. See? Can, look, he, that's a conspiracy look. You know, you mentioned this being me. a conspiracy podcast, and look what happened. It turned into one the right. power of Nick's. Energy. Projection. I know. Creative visualization. I'm skinwalkers. I kind of want to go back to Nick. I don't know. What? I wonder if that's like, Do you guys want to know more about the Uperlite rock? <laughs> Can you talk about how grateful you were for that juicy... Gratitude. Buoyant. Abundant. Yoga. Buoyant. Yoga? Yoga. Experience. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. We're just throwing words out. Okay. Do you know what I want to go back to? <laughs> Tell me. You're the reverence for the female, the like mm-hmm. de- feminine divine. Like, I mean, I was like, oh, say more. This was like incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no. I skipped your question. You did skip my question. <laughs> Who's that guy over there who keeps trying to talk when I'm talking to you? I don't know. One of us has ADHD. That's what we figured <laughs> out. I don't know which. Okay, I'm going to let you ask your On your topic of relationships. Mm-hmm. So you have re- mentioned that these are either anonymous people that you draw. Mm-hmm. They are sometimes figures that people may not recognize mm-hmm. um, by the art that you do. Mm-hmm. 
or are there people that you have actually known? Mm-hmm. I'm most curious in the third. Like sure. when you draw somebody that you know, do you let them know? Why are they an inspiration for you? I think only one time I've done a painting of somebody and they didn't know I was doing it. Was it me? <laughs> it's in the works right now. Thank you. I appreciate it's in the that. Works right now. No, a man with a know. long neck and no eyes. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's almost always somebody I know. And, um, and I ask them if they'd like to pose for a painting. And, yes. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I do. I will. I will. Thank you. Twist my arm. Awesome. Um, yeah, I asked them if they would pose, and usually it's somebody I know, and I'm looking for kind of a similarity in terms of, like, I'm not looking specifically for um, a particular look, like a particular uh, sense of beauty or, you know, like a societal norm of beauty. I'm looking for something in their eyes and in their soul that is like, okay, that's something unique, quirky, weird that I can pull from and work that into the image. Nice. Um, so I'll do a photo shoot with them. And then usually I, I combine a number of photos into the sketches to create the actual finished product. But, um, but yeah, it's people who intrigue me and, and kind of capture my, my curiosity. Um, yeah. I, I'm glad to do it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Quirky. You're, well, you're welcome in advance. <laughs> okay, now can we talk about women? <laughs> so back to I'd be bo- grateful if you did Buoyant, that. buoyant women. I would, I would love for you to talk about women. So yeah. five sisters mm-hmm. and raised by your mom. Yeah. And it is, I didn't know until Doug told me because I had only seen the beautiful paintings of women, mm-hmm. but you do portray the women and the men very differently. I do. And yeah. I'd love to know yeah. what, what that's about. Well, probably the first thing going back to the, the female energy was that my mom is probably my biggest influence artistically. Um, like I mentioned, she was a church cantor choir director. Um, and after my father passed, so my mom had me when she was 48. So I was oh, in the wow. next closest to me in age is 10 years older than me. So um, I was maybe a bit of a mistake or at least a surprise. A happy accident. Happy accident. <laughs> Going back to the birth canal. That all is full always circle. starts with the birth yes. canal. Um, but so after he passed, then she uh, took Suzuki lessons for cello at McPhail. And oh. I think she to today she's still the oldest person to take Suzuki lessons which is usually for four or five-year-old children. Um, and so I grew up then going to watch her do recitals, and she got good enough to play in uh, a local uh, community symphony. And then after that, she also became a, a master gardener, self-taught through library books. And she won a, a competition on PBS, the National Victory Garden competition. Holy smokes, okay. So we would have tour buses coming to the house and touring the yard and and then she got into knitting then pan flute then china painting and it was like she was always reinventing herself artistically so for me that was just a huge inspiration and especially seeing that you know you're not bound by age or by place in life you can always create and change what you do and then my other sisters were also very artistic in gardening video uh crochet crafts, all sorts of stuff. So that was a big part of, of my upbringing and a big influence. And the women have such incredible detail and the eyes that are looking through your soul. And like mm-hmm. I mentioned, looking also like they may want to kill you. So you might want to sleep with one eye open <laughs> and they haunt you maybe till the end yeah. of days. Yeah. But the men don't have eyes. They don't have eyes. It's like a yeah. black Most of them. out. Yeah, and that was kind of a play on, um, so when I first started painting with women with long necks, that's when I became familiar with Modigliani, who's oh, an yeah. artist that would paint long necks, and he always had white eyes. Instead of eyes, it would just be white. And there's a quote, I'm going to misquote him, but it's something like, uh, 
when I know your soul, I'll paint your eyes. And so when I started painting the men, I was playing off of that notion that the eyes are the window to the soul. If there are no, if there are no eyes, what does that say about soul? The nature of soul, does it exist? What is it? Um, so I was kind of playing with that notion. And, you know, I, I st tried to paint men with long necks and it just didn't work visually. It was a totally different vibe than what I was doing with the women. And yep. so I knew, okay, I still want to paint men, but... But with short and stubby necks. With normal necks. <laughs> I'd like mine to be medium. <laughs> medium. Doug let's, would let's like try. to first sketch out what he'd like his to look like. <laughs> I want to go specifically to the long-necked mm -hmm. women, which is probably the best-known trait of most of your paintings. Yeah. Um, I am familiar with what it means because I've researched your interviews and whatnot, but I'm yeah. kind of curious if you want to share with our audience. Well, now I want to make up something totally different. You can, to but I'm going to tell you, you what you said online, so <laughs> I can correct you and tell you what you really mean. What, what did I say? Because that's what therapists do. <laughs> what did I say? No. Is this really a question? Do you not remember what you said? Oh, no, I do. Yeah, but that would be awesome if I'm like, I just made like, something up Like, if you said something totally website. different, I'd be like, that's not what you said. That's not That's not actually what you mean. And I'll tell you what you mean. We like to guess what you really, really want. <laughs> um, yeah, so, well, I should premise this with for me, when I started painting portraits again, when I originally back like 24 years ago, I was painting a lot of abstract expressionism, cubism, pure abstract artwork, but I wanted to go back and start doing portraits again because. Relating back to your question about um, how people take in artwork, I kind of saw the human figure as the universal symbol, and I wanted to be able to touch souls. And one of the things that, again, going back to an influence of one of my sisters, she took me when I was maybe 10 or 12 years old to the Minneapolis Institute of Art for the Van Gogh Show. And we pulled up to the museum, and if you've never been to the MIA, if you're out in the ether internet, it's a massive building, it's gargantuan. Um, and the line for this show was through the entire museum and out the door and down the block. So it was literally wow. thousands of, of people. And I remember that so specifically, like the effect that this artist had on people. I knew I wanted to have even one one hundredth of a percent of touching people like that, yep. that would be success for me. So. Well, uh, you've arrived. Oh, Congratulations. You. Are you saying he's in the 0.01%? He is, or you are? I am the 0.01%. <laughs> Doug is the divine feminine. Thank you. The I have a tiara. And I don't. We do have a tiara. Have a tiara. And you have eyeballs. Oh, I do. So back to I the MRI. I would paint you with eyes. <laughs> Thank you for painting me with eyes. Yes. I can have whatever neck you want. <laughs> totally. So, like a few different chins. <laughs> Did you say I have multiple chins? The portrait, not you. You're perfect in every way. I'm just talking about the port, the, you know, what he's going to create. No eyes. And your multiple oh. chins, you said. stubby chin. <laughs> to neck. You said chins. Maybe the chin goes like right and like you keep going, shall we? <laughs> like you have. Is that called a urlata? You guys taught me. Urlata. Yeah. From here to here. No eyes in a herlata. I'd like to record. I'll pay extra. I love my curlata. <laughs> that would be a great title for a painting. Curlata? Yeah. Oh, herlata. Oh, I thought Is it herlata? Herlata. Herlata. You say it in unison. I'm like, which one? The twins are here. The twins are in the front row. That doesn't make it any more intimidating either. Like, you're know. those twins. Like, By the way, there's a twin picture in that back room. <laughs> there there is. is. You two are the muse for it. From oh, The Shining. From I'm the kidding. I'm so from kidding. The it's from The Shining. It's from The Shining as well. All we need now is a skinwalker walking in the back. And he focused on All the herlatas. All I see is my sweet husband re-pouring the Prosecco back there. Okay, I got this. Thank God for my goatee did, to hide my chins. But so did you, I was distracted by skinwalkers and Prosecco and herlatas, but yeah. did you tell us why, why no, the long necks? Okay. 
No, that was my grand plan to avoid oh. that whole question. Yeah, why no, the next? Just go down this path. No, I'll get, I'll, I'll, we'll come back to that. We're coming back to the um, long necks. But, it, but what I would say is that, so I wanted to paint portraits again. And, um, but I didn't want to paint portraits that were documentative. So I didn't want to do just portraits of this is so-and-so in a particular place in a particular time and be like, you know, a stuffy portrait of a governor hanging up at the Capitol or a banker in a bank lobby. I wanted to paint something with potential for allegory and narrative and storytelling. And I didn't know how to do that until I read um, the book 100 Years of Solitude Mm -hmm. by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. And it was my first real experience with magical realism literature. And that just kind of opened up the floodgates that I can mess with the human form and see the world or project the world through a lens of magic and fantasy that's grounded in reality, but that has more potential for storytelling. So that's when I started to really just play with the, the figure. And then also at the time I was really heavily um, getting into reading about Buddhism and esoteric mystical Christianity and some other religions and seeing this overlap between them. And so the head became like the symbol for our divine potential, the divine spark that's in all of us. And so it's being elevated by the long neck. And then the hands represented our worldly nature. So how we actually think about ourselves and treat ourselves, how we think about others, treat others. And so there's this, the neck is also pushing the, the divine up, but it's also acting like a visual Um, tension or pulling apart between these two sides within I think all of us or this might just be purely like self-portraiture like being like oh there's this but I'm down here and this tension this push-pull and then it kind of related back to Buddhism in the sense that like if you look at the painting up close um, you might see it as being a series of fragmented parts like the hands and arms are usually fragmented from the upper torso And you can see it as disparate pieces. But if you step back and look at it, hopefully it takes on a wholeness where each of the pieces are integral to each other. And if I did the painting right, it feels like a complete composition and has a wholeness, even though it's still weird visually and maybe bizarre, it's still complete and makes sense. Not logically, but on a different level. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And if I failed at the painting, then it just looks like... And this guy like doesn't know how parts. to paint a body. <laughs> like, he doesn't know proportion. And it looks like someone who was like chopped up. <laughs> and that's like a different genre. And when somebody says that, that tells me more about them. <laughs> than about, that's what you see all in this I painting, is it? Chopped is up in people. pieces in their entirety. That's all I see. So Talia, into your fantasies of chopping up people. <laughs> That's right. Shall we joke? Just, no, is that all, all you're going to say? Is That's right. Wholeness. Wholeness is all I see. Okay. So, Nick, just to confirm, that is what you said on PBS. So, thank you for remembering. Oh. Absolutely. So Almost we, exactly. I had to memorize that. We I know you did. We I didn't write my artist. I know you did. <laughs> well, now I want to circle back to this is the relationship piece, right? That, like, I'm picturing you Long from. Pause. Long pause. This is where Nick exits like Homer Simpson into the bushes backwards. (laughs) But I'm picturing you from 10 p.m. until 3 a.m. in your dark creative space. Mm -hmm. How does that work with relationships? Like you mentioned a couple times, like it doesn't really work well with relationships. But I feel like someone would have to like... Someone who's falling in love with you knows who they're falling in love with. They're not going to expect you to keep banking hours, I hope. <laughs> that was a different question. <laughs> There's, it, can be a, it can seem romantic on the outside, but once you're in it, it's like, you know, if somebody wants to go to a concert on a Friday night or go see a movie and I'm like, I'm going to stay in paint, yeah. mm-hmm. all that room, the veneer of that yeah. disappears quickly. And I also, because I run an art gallery, most of our events are on weekends and at nights. So that can be difficult. Um, So yeah, it can be a challenge. Do you ever feel with all that you mentioned about being an observer and just Mm -hmm. really feeling yourself sort of on the outside, Mm -hmm. that a part of you disappearing into the dark studio is to be able to keep that quiet and that observational stance and give you some distance from other humans. 
Oh God, yes. <laughs> You're like, isn't it obvious? <laughs> yes. Is it that yeah. obvious? Yeah. No, for sure. Like it's that's where I feel space. the most comfortable. That's where I feel most myself. And I heard a great quote. Um, so I or a video or something. And I've always considered myself to be pretty introverted. And this video was said something to the effect of, I always thought I was introvert, but what I found out is I just like peace. Mm. And when somebody gives me peace, I'm an extrovert. Oh my God, and I love that so much. very much how I feel. It's like yes. if I'm around people that, that have that peace and grace and dignity about them, that's when I'm like, okay, I can be me. And, you know. Yeah. And it doesn't drain your social battery. You could just be yourself. Totally. It's a really nice way of explaining what we oftentimes label as kind of a black and white thing, introvert versus extrovert. So nice spin on that. Hmm. I'm kind of curious about this energy. Um, When you talk about it, like you never turn it off. I remember probably about five years into my uh, career, somebody asked me if I ever stopped being a therapist. Have I ever walked out into the community or the dining halls or the restaurants that I'm in? Do I ever shut it off? Fuck no. Um, It just becomes such a part of my identity that I'm always scanning. I'm always looking. We've had this conversation and we do it slightly different. Like I just don't turn off. I don't know how to do that at this point after 28 years of practice. I'm only 35. I don't know how I got my PhD, but um, I don't know how this happened. And I don't know how you're like the same age as your daughter. It's crazy. Should we go back to the birth canal? No, (laughs) no, it's a very soulful conversation though. Um, but it's interesting. So, you know, never shutting off. I am curious about your block though. Like if you ever experience a block in your artistic endeavor. Yeah, definitely. Um, do you say artist block? Yeah. I was putting it like writer's block and artist block. Okay. That makes sense. Just artist block. Um, and it, it happens from just burnout. Um, okay. I think I need to rest that part of me from time to time. So but what I'll do is I'll start writing, or I'll, I also toy with music. Okay. So I'll, I'll funnel it into different things. I okay. also garden. Um, so I'll fun, I'll, I'm not ever not doing something creative output-wise, but it'll change. It'll morph back and forth. I need a break from painting. I'll focus on writing um, poorly. I have a small vocabulary. That's clearly I not the case, by the way. You. I listened to your PBS uh, interview, and I was like, I don't know how he talks so eloquently. You're very, very wise. That was all AI. It was. It was, oh, all, I did. was all AI. I did <laughs> notice. <laughs> like, periodically, there were, like, robotic. <laughs> okay, I got yeah. static. But you know the what's Zuckerberg interesting? The Zuckerberg hairline. <laughs> Is that a joke about my hairline? No. <laughs> no, Zuckerberg. You, he looks like a robot. I don't know how this is happening. <laughs> He's uh, like, that's going to be... Is it because you? I've already bought your... Pa- in your <laughs> I am picturing this portrait, and I the am one really me? into it. Yeah. Me? The okay. Zuckerberg hairline. No, I'm trying to... I, you're coming up with ideas and inspirations. <laughs> Doug, your hairline <laughs> and your chins. Again, that's going to conspiracy theory, though. All right, we're going back to this <laughs> energy thing. So yeah. it, how do you know when you're burned out? And then do you... So you write and you do these things. Mm-hmm. How do you know when you're ready to draw again or paint? It just kind of happens. Like, I'll I'll have ideas. Like, I'm always coming up with ideas for paintings, but it gets to a point where I just have to start working on it. Is there ever a time that you don't want to do anything creative to shut off? Or is that impossible? Not really. Like, I enjoy hiking. Like, Mm -hmm. I do other things. So I go to to the gym now and lift weights. And I run and I go hiking. Um, I, I spend a lot of time in state parks. So another big body of work that I make are landscapes and they're, mm-hmm. I call them nocturnes. They t- they're mostly uh, twilight based, um, sunset based landscapes. And those I get inspiration from when I'm out in the state parks. Okay. Yeah. So that's beautiful. That's like a nice break from doing anything creative, but I'm still, even while I'm hiking and running, right. I'm thinking about stuff. But okay. it's a slightly different part of your brain. Maybe that's yeah. like waking up, the yeah. other parts. Well, and it's interesting too, because like I said this once about um, when I do an abstract painting, I feel more like an artist than when mm. I'm doing my figurative pieces. Huh. Because the figurative pieces, like the art, the most artistic creative part comes in the drawing and the concepting of the piece. And then once I'm actually doing the painting, that's a lot of draftsmanship and craft mm. yep. as opposed to 
okay, I already know what the image is going to be. It'll change while I'm painting, and I'm open to that, but it's not anything like the process of just creating an image, um, either in my mind or on paper. Whereas with the abstract painting, I just sit down and paint, and whatever's flowing flows, and that feels... It's the combination of creativity and production. Do you know what I'm really curious about is that, I mean, <clears throat> watching people watching your paintings and mm -hmm. how, and we were talking about that vulnerability is what people are connecting to. Mm -hmm. Does it ever, I mean, for someone so private and yeah. introverted and really enjoying your own head and your own space, yeah. what is it like for you to live in that vulnerability? Like, how do you handle that? Now I'm fine with it. But it took a long time to like figure that out and navigate that. Um, because I have my own gallery, I'd be able to be here the whole time when my show was up and see everybody coming in and and particularly at events like Art of World, which is a big art crawl in Northeast Minneapolis once a year. There's thousands of people coming through and many of them have never been exposed to art or really that involved in the arts. So it's seeing people this is out of their element for them. And so they're seeing my work um, or even like the work that's up now. I have a great show by Alex Kuno up and seeing their reactions at first, it took me a lot to get used to that because you are vulnerable and you hear all the conversations and if they don't know who you are, you're hearing them talk and dissect the that's art, right. the psychology of the artist, and all of this. So now, or if I'm you're like Doug coming to you weeping, right? I mean, but I'm sure that's not the first time. I've had uh, a few, uh, a few criers, a few weepers. Now I'm a crier, <laughs> a weeper, a weeper with multiple what is chips. sounding crier or weeper? and a hairline. Um, I think an emotive is what I'm um, looking for. That's perfect. Thank you. That's perfect, emotive. You can call my piece yeah. that once you do me. Ooh, nice, emotive. <laughs> emotive. I like that. Okay, yeah. good. No, I tear up at, at artwork, so, yeah. This is the first one ever, I'll tell yeah. you. Yeah. I have never, ever experienced this. Yeah. I'll keep saying it over and oh, over and over. Oh. Oh. <laughs> and it was immediate, at yeah. Erdoworld. Anyway, I could go on and on. Okay. Oh, please do. <laughs> Why do I don't know if you've noticed, but I've had a heart. Weeper. Okay. I want to ask you something about like prospective artists. Yeah. Like what would you say to someone who wants to paint or wants to draw or wants to write, but is afraid of criticism? And how do you handle that? Because I'm sure not everybody loves your art. Yeah. I don't know how that could possibly be, Nick. Because they're cray-cray. And if you point them out to me, I'll take care of them. Awesome. Is that okay? There's one person there in the one back here. No. <laughs> John. It was John. <laughs> no, you talk. Oh, no. You raised your hand. Now he, it becomes a cage match. I don't I mean, throw down. Bring it. Yeah. Uh, what was the question? <laughs> I asked about like, how do you talk to people? First of all, like, how do you manage criticism? And what would you say to prospective artists who want right. to try their craft and yeah. afraid? Well, first I would say, like there's a, a myth in, that exists in our society, I think, that's, that art isn't essential, that it's a luxury, or that it's for a specific class, or specific type of people. And I think a lot of that's fueled by what gets promoted in media. Like we see images from Art Basel of a banana taped to a wall. Yep. And of course that's gonna turn off a lot of people and be like, that's art. But I think art is absolutely essential and a big part of it is because the creative principle is in all of us. And we create in our daily life all the time. You know, from the clothes we pick out, the music we listen to, what we watch for entertainment, um, everything is coming back to that creative principle and being the author of our life. And so I think it's in everybody to, to manifest their creative principle through a specific art form, like painting or drawing or sculpture. So I say just do it and, um, and don't care what anybody thinks about what you're doing. Um, it takes a certain level of guts, I think, to... I agree it takes a little guts yep. to start, and then it takes a little bit more guts to actually share that because of 
the vulnerability of it. But I think that that's part of the excitement of life is that we get to take chances like that. And I think that vulnerability, it's a humbling part of each person to be able to say, you know, just rip open your chest and be like, this is me. I'm a little curious as well, and I'm going to go way, way back actually to your father's death, because I'm kind of curious as you're talking if it gave you an appreciation for life. Absolutely. And, a, and an ability to live every day to the fullest. To try? Yeah, to yeah. try. Yeah. To try. I mean, it's, it, like there's a lot of, like it's easy to make it sound romantic and like, yeah. oh, you know, I had this tragedy thing and oh, it bred artwork and all of this, but it's also like, it, you know, maybe a little too much whiskey, a little too much fast food. <laughs> you know, it's had a lot of other bad things that have come with it that it took a long time to get through those things. So, yeah. yeah. So while, yeah, there's like this appreciation for life, it's also been a path to find that again. Can I ask if the audience can ask any questions? You can ask and then we will say, yes, of course. Oh, you can. Because I'm curious if anybody has anything. Anybody wants to? Nobody has any questions. Don't We've be afraid. Asked it all. And feel free to come up. Please come up. You want to sit on the couch? Oh, you want to sit? <laughs> I have a room on both sides. Everybody, group photo. I'm curious what your driving value is. So I kind of have four. Um, yeah, and the first one is wellness, health and wellness. So mental, psychological, physical. Um, second's creative expression. Um, Third, I'm blanking on gold shoes. Doug, three, just Doug. <laughs> yeah. My driving value is Doug. I mean, ah, uh, ah, uh, uh. yeah. Uh, no creative expression, health and wellness. Creative expression. I know number four is connectivity, human relationships, and I'm totally blanking on uh, number. We have to know three. We can't end the episode until we know number three. So we're going to sit in silence until you come up <laughs> and we're going to stare at you. Okay, you could get back to us on yeah. it. Any other questions? Leslie? Back to the men without eyes and reflecting the soul. Could you talk more about what that means to you? Yeah. Um, again, it's really just begging the question. Like, I don't know that I have an answer to that question. Like, it's begging the question, does soul exist and what is its nature? I believe soul exists. I can't describe what it is or put words to it other than maybe it, it's our spirit. Like I, I typically tend to believe that we are like a spirit or spiritual being having a human experience that kind of, mm. it's cliche, but I really do think that that, that is there. Um, you know, there's been so many experiences that I've had and my family have had with people on the other side showing up somehow where it's like, okay, that is, there's something there. Um, and whether or not that there is out there or it's in here and we're projecting it ourselves, I don't know, but it's, it's a question that I like to play with and yeah. Do you feel like the male, the masculine is less connected to the soul and their soul experience? I would, I would almost say yes. Um, because I think women are maybe closer to the creative process just because of the nature birth of canal. birth yeah, and nurturing and birthing. <laughs> I think that there's a closer connectivity to creation. Um, and so that's very possible. Whereas, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. I can't wait to see my piece. <laughs> <laughs> and what the eyes look like. I might paint you pregnant. <laughs> Long neck, pregnant. Oh my God, this is getting better. With a hairline better. and chins. <laughs> and chins, yeah. Rob, did you have a question? I was curious to know when you felt your artwork had an impact. Like, when was the first time you realized that the art you were doing impacted other people in a way that was meaningful to you? Well, the first time it had an impact, not a deep impact, but where it was like, <laughs> all right, this is kind of cool, and I got an ego boost. I wasn't a very popular kid, and I was in grade school, and I was at a friend's house, 
and they knew I could draw. And my friend's older brother had like a uh, Sports Illustrated pinup thing on their wall. Of course he did. Yeah. And my friend was like, can you draw that? And it was a challenge. <laughs> and I drew it. Was, yeah. And I was like the coolest kid. Was for it like, like 10 Pamela, minutes? Wow. Pamela I was so cool in their minutes. eyes. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then that faded again. But for, it was That's like, great. wow, okay, something I just drew impressed other people. Yeah. That was the first time that I had that experience where it actually felt deeper, more profound level. Um, probably it was one of my very first long neck paintings, if not the first. Um, a piece called Bonjour Tristesse, which means hello to sorrow or hello sadness. Um, wow. And it was, so my gallery used to be on East Hennepin. It was um, in the basement of that gallery. And a friend of mine, Oli, uh, saw that piece and got weepy and he ended up buying it. Yeah. And, um, and then we still talk about that day and that piece. And, and I've done multiple multiple iterations of that painting since but yeah that was probably the first traumatic dramatic moment where it was like okay because you're really creating soulmates you know it's, yeah. it's like crazy well, to think and what's about. interesting is i can't stop talking about it right like i think that's the other piece is it's so powerful that i've told this story to like lots and lots of people yeah yeah and oh. so, and I, then I have to, when you're not there, I have to go, ah, on my own. <laughs> and it sounds awkward coming from me after my own story. So, <laughs> you have a question. I'm wondering how much your day-to-day -day variation in the mood that you're in impacts your art. It seems like you'd have to maintain a certain vision over many different fluctuations in mood. Or do you pivot depending on how you're feeling every day? Um, that almost like once I'm at the easel, that's its own zone. So whatever happened during the day, that doesn't really, I mean, if I'm not listening to anything, I might replay stuff in my head while I'm painting. Like if I'm frustrated about something or somebody said something or did something, I'll replay that in my head in situations where I'm always winning. Like, yes. that person. You're yeah. re-narrating the story. <laughs> totally. An empowered narrative. <laughs> totally. But that doesn't affect what I'm actually painting um, because that vision is kind of zeroed in. So that once I'm at the easel, whatever my mood is, um, externally, the painting is, it'll change, but I don't know how perceptively. It, the changes aren't so much from my mood once I'm painting. It's more what the painting's dictating. So in my head, I might have thought, you know, I want, want her in a red dress, and then I start painting red, and it's like, nope, that's wrong. Wipe that down, start over. Um, so I let the painting dictate at that point. But yeah. Would you be okay with people going back and seeing where you sit? Absolutely. Because you are midway through a painting right now. Mm -hmm. I noticed today. Yeah. It's kind of fascinating, because I wonder how all of these started and where they were mid-piece. Yeah. And a piece that we looked at last Sunday is completed. And on the easel, I believe. It's not complete. It's not complete. It's not. It's, it's close. Even okay. better. It's very close. Yeah. And you've started another one. Mm-hmm. I have eight going at the moment. Oh. So I have a show. Which kind of goes to your question. Like mood and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have... I usually work on multiple pieces, not eight wow. at one time, but I have a show October 7th. Okay. That I'm finishing up for at Gallery 360. And so I'm trying to finish up a number of new pieces. I love it. And as each layer dries on one, I jump to another and oh. work on that one, let that layer of paint dry and jump to another. Yeah, and you have a question. So how did your father's death affect your mother and subsequently your relationship with her and your siblings? Yeah, um, that's interesting because, so my dad was great with me. But with the other kids, he was, my dad was an alcoholic and quite abusive. And so my siblings and mother had a way different experience than I did. And I remember, I think it was one of my sisters told me once that my mom told him the day I came home, you're not fucking this one up. Wow. And it was like, all right, that was my dad. You know, so they had a very traumatic experience with him. So I don't know that there was a lot of love loss when he passed. My experience with him was very different. And I, I would imagine 
Um, or I can't imagine that for my mom, in one sense, it was a relief um, that he was gone, but it also made it really difficult because we didn't have that income coming in. We just had her income from being a church cantor, which wasn't much. So we instantly became quite poor. Um, but it, it bonded her and I together quite a lot. Yeah. Could you speak to your use of the gold and the process and reasoning behind using gold in so many of your pieces? Absolutely. So I've been working gold into the paintings again more recently. I did in the past. Like the one behind us. Like the one behind us. Um, and part of that is inspire, inspiration from Russian and Byzantine iconography. So I got really into that in my early 20s. And some of my favorite art, one of my favorite artists was Gustav Klimt who worked with a lot of gold leaf, and I saw this connection between his work and iconography. And what captured me about iconography was that an icon isn't something that's just a work of art, but it's a spiritual sort of talisman that um, people would turn to for thanks or for asking in prayers, and they made it a focal point in their homes. And that was kind of what I wanted my artwork to become, is that it's not just a pure decorative element in a home, but it's a focal point and something that leads to contemplation. Mm. Um, and then the gold leaf in specific. So I learned how to do, I took a intensive, uh, icon writing workshop where we made, um, traditional icons and egg tempera and the gold leaf. Every part of the process has a esoteric meaning behind it. And with the gold leaf, what they would do is anywhere there's gold leaf, they would paint, um, or lay down liquid red clay, let that dry, then they would burnish it with a wolf's tooth. And then when they're ready to put the gold leaf on, you would breathe hot air onto the clay, and oh. that heat would be enough heat and moisture to ignite the glue in it, and then you'd put the gold leaf down. And that was mimicking um, God making man out of the earth and out of clay. And so it represents spirit and kind of our beingness. So that's kind of why, why I do that now. Not the religious endpoint, but spirit. Yeah. Do you start with a sketch or do you go straight to canvas? Uh, mostly sketches, yeah. Once in a while, I'll crop together images in Photoshop and play with stuff. But mostly it's sketching. And then I'll transfer the sketch to the panel and then paint from there. I feel like you have an example of that somewhere. I saw last time I was here. Uh, a panel with a sketch on it? Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. I've got one of those in the back I can share, share with you. Any other questions? What Nick, a day. Right. We cannot be more grateful for uh -huh. the time you've spent with us and shared your very, very personal experience and adventure as my favorite artist, <clears> for <throat> sure. You can say Mine I. too. Uh -huh. Mine too. <laughs> Sign me up. Right? Um, I feel abundant. Yeah, I feel very, and very buoyant. And Where are those tissues? And grateful. <laughs> do you want to do yoga right now? I don't. Just FYI, I do not. Um, and this is, of course, the Rogue Buddha Studio in Northeast Minneapolis. In case we did not reference that before, we want to make sure that's where we're, where we're at today. Power. And, of course, you can see the sign behind us. Um, anyone can contact you there. Where else can they contact you? Social media? My Tinder account is my Tinder Bumble. But like, I just kept on thinking like you're creating soulmates for so many people. Yeah. I think Doug and I should create a soulmate for you. Well, oh. we have a retreat coming up for singles. Or maybe they already exist. And I don't know if I told you, Nick, but we're raffling you off. Yes. Is there any problem with that? No, let's do it. <laughs> You'll be a partner about by the vulnerability. end of the <laughs> Living ones, do it. Let's do it. Highest bidder. Okay, Any so besides, besides Tinder, where can yeah. people find no, you? Uh, Instagram, I'm on Instagram, both as Nicholas Harper, Fine Art, Rogue Buddha, Official. There's some dude who started... Using Rogue Buddha. Come on. I started that 25 years ago, and so and I'm late to all tech. Do you know what? So I'm going to send one listening. of your paintings to haunt him. Right. Thank you. Yeah, so Rogue Buddha official, uh, Instagram, Facebook, now TikTok. Oh, wow. Really? You're so cool. I'm, I'm, yeah, Are you a Snapchatter? 
No. I don't even know what that is, really, it's, so I just brought it up because I know it's something. I don't get Snapchat and I don't get Twitter. Are you on Instacart? <laughs> Instacart. Oh, that's where you buy food. Okay. That's <laughs> no. <laughs> Uber Eats, you can buy me on a, a deliver on Friday night. DoorDash? Do you, have a, do you have a profile on DoorDash? <laughs> can you order art to be delivered in two hours? Actually, that I could probably do. In That's the Twin not Cities a bad metro marketing area. strategy. No, I do deliver in the Twin Cities. Do in the you? Install. Yeah. Are you going to deliver my painting? For a fee, yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, no. Yes, no I do it for free. Yes. for Doug. Yeah, no, absolutely. I could love to. And yeah. now we are going to do our sign-off, which usually Doug and I crack each other up behind closed doors and sometimes do have to do it 500 <laughs> times. But now we're going to do it in front of a live audience. <laughs> That's really special because Wait, I don't quick. know what we're saying. Go we're ahead. We're not fine, but what? Um, we'll figure, figure, we'll figure it out. Oh, I got one. I got Do one. Do you really? Yeah. Okay. Okay, okay. Go. So if you got value from today's episode, which we know you did, so don't try to pretend that you didn't. But if you did, like, subscribe, share with your friends and family or even your enemies. Because they need to know about us. They do, including the guy who stole Rogue Buddha Studio. Yeah. We're going to find him. We're going to haunt his ass. We're going to haunt his ass with your paintings. <laughs> We're going to just send him one picture a day. He's going to see this feel so bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's why we're in business. We're therapists. <laughs> to make people feel bad. You're to welcome. You're welcome. Feel bad, $200 an hour, please. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry, keep going. Wait, that's oh, it. is it mine now? Yeah, yeah. And if you have any questions about relationships, <laughs> if there's any question you have about family, friends, coworkers, anything, that thing that's your neck, what is it called? Herlotta. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you two say it at the same time. Herlotta. Um, Wearenotfine.com, submit all your questions. You can be anonymous, you can put your name. If you are the guy who stole your Twitter, what is it? Instagram cart? Instagram, I don't know what it is. Okay. Twitter, yeah. yeah, I don't love it. We're but watching if you're that person, you. if you so can let us know who official. you are. Okay. He yeah. is underscore official. He's the orridge. The OG. The OG. <laughs> and if you want to find us on Instacart. Where do you find us on Instacart or DoorDash? <laughs> Douglas L. Jensen with an E-N. G-R Talia Jackson. And We're Not Fine Pod. Can I say I noticed that? Oh, you did? Your doctor. Yes, Talia and your... I'm just He's Doug. Just, just Doug. <laughs> they call me just Doug. Just Doug. Dougie Fresh. Doug. Just Doug. <laughs> That's his new name just on Doug. Instagram. It's just <laughs> Do you like it? <laughs> Here you go, Nick. This one. He right. left you hanging. Uh, um, <laughs> That's so. One last comment. I really want to thank all of you for coming. This was so much fun having you all here. I hope you liked the Prosecco. I hope you enjoyed the podcast episode with Nick. We can't wait to do this again. We hope all yeah, of you come again. Amazing. You are so, so supportive to us, and your support means everything. So thank you all. And I also really want to thank our team. We have an amazing team. That literally is getting paid with Prosecco and lunch from time to time. And we love you all so much. And Nick is giving you each a piece of art. <laughs> so the first one is Serenity. <laughs> oh! That's mine! <laughs> <laughs> By the way, when I came back to make the purchase, Nick said some woman walked in yesterday and gave me a cash for this painting. Oh, I'm like, such a stinker. You're, you're joking, right? I was devastated. <laughs> but we've obviously become friends, so you're giving me a lot of shit today. And remember, we're not fine. But at least you have eyeballs. <laughs> 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 <laughs>